joy to be with you. Turn your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of John, John chapter 3, well-known passage of Scripture. I often think as I read through John 3 and 4 of the great contrast, and often, no doubt, you've, you've heard messages on the contrast between the two individuals there uh, that are recorded for us and contrasted in chapters 3 and 4. Nicodemus, um, that, that named um, important uh, man, the, the leader, the ruler, the teacher of the Jews who came to the Lord Jesus by night. And then in chapter 4, of course, the unnamed uh, woman of, of questionable repute, and uh, she came in the middle of the day. And what a con- study in contrasts. Uh, another thing that I've been enjoying in these two chapters is something that that uh, just really came to me in personal study, and it was this repeated reference to the word must. There are five statements in chapters 3 and 4 that, that hang on the word must. It, they're, they're divine necessities. There's no plan B um, in, these, in these five different statements that are referred to in chapter 3 and 4. And, um, and I think of them kind of like the, the spiritual equivalent of the, you know, we could talk about the physical or natural laws, the laws of gravity and physics and those kinds of things. Um, and, and here in chapters three and four, we have these, these statements that are, they're divine necessities. There's no plan B. And so, of course, the first one, would anybody know what it is? It's John three. You must, you must be born again. And, uh, and again, there's no, there's no other way. If you want to see, if you want even want to, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And then as you read a little further in that chapter, you come to the second one. Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The Son of Man had to be lifted up. There was, there was no other way. Uh, the Lord Jesus was well aware of that as he uh, went through his earthly sojourn. He had to go. He, he, he set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. He went. He must suffer. He must be lifted up. And so um, he willingly took that must upon himself uh, to achieve our salvation and our redemption. I'm going to skip over the, the third one in the chapter because that's where we want to spend most of our time. Uh, tonight, but in chapter four, we come across the next one in verse four. Now, in my translation, it doesn't stand out because it's translated differently. He, speaking of the Lord Jesus, needed to go through Samaria. The old King James would say he must needs go through Samaria, and that's the right translation. It's the exact same word that's used in chapter three. Uh, he must needs go through Samaria. Um, the Lord Jesus knew well what he was, who he was going to face and meet in Samaria and that there was a whole city whose heart was ripe for the gospel. And, uh, and so he needed to go through Samaria. The disciples needed to learn an important lesson out of that whole experience. And so he must needs go through Samaria. And then as the Lord Jesus is speaking to this aforementioned Samaritan woman, he said to this woman in verse 23, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Then verse 24, God is spirit, 
and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. There's only one kind of worship that's acceptable to the sovereign God. Um, And so I've been enjoying these musts, and it was kind of a self-discovery for me, but as it happens so often, I I picked up William MacDonald's commentary, and uh, he had three of them listed right in the first, you know, in chapter three. He started the chapter that way, you know, that I was like, oh, he got to it first. Uh, But he didn't, He so he had the must for the sinner, the must for the Savior, and the and the next one in chapter 3, the must for the servant of God. Um, so I have to now come up with two more S's for, the, for chapter 4. So I have the, the must for the, the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one that is lost. Um, and then the must for the sovereign uh, must be worshipped in spirit and truth. If, if you can help me to do that better, uh, come and talk to me later. But... We want to look tonight at verse 30 of chapter 3. This is John the Baptist. He makes this statement. He, speaking of the Lord Jesus, he must increase. I must decrease or I decrease. He must increase. I must decrease. Not he should. It's not a good idea. He must increase. If John the Baptist's ministry was going to be successful, if our ministry is going to be successful, he must increase. I, we must decrease. I love the statement of Isaiah the prophet. This is in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. When he comes, speaking of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, when he comes to rule and reign, it says of him, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And I think there's a, a personal application to that as well in our own lives uh, of the increase of our Lord's government uh, in our own lives of his lordship. There must be an increase. There will be no end uh, if we're growing and walking with the Savior. And so John the Baptist understood that if he was going to fulfill his calling, he needed to fade out of view. Uh, he was not the main attraction he was the one that needed to fade out of view. Now, the context here, if, if we go back to verse 22, and we'll just briefly uh, touch on these things, it describes this, this fact that there were two groups of, uh, of believers or followers, you might say, that were baptizing. There was Jesus and his disciples. There, were John, there was John the Baptist and his disciples. They were, they were out there baptizing And there was a dispute, we read in verse 25, between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you among the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. In other words, the Lord Jesus is out there baptizing and everybody's going to him. And we're losing followers our, our group is getting smaller, and his group is getting bigger. Uh, this was a concern to them. It's interesting to watch and to observe what John's response is. I think we get a window into the heart of this servant of God, John the Baptist. And what we have in the rest of this chapter are, are it was well, really the response of John the Baptist to his followers 
uh, and he, he makes three statements about himself, and then he makes three statements about the Lord Jesus. And in the middle is this, is this hinge statement, he must increase and I must decrease. So he, he responds and he, and he talks about himself, describes three things about himself, and we'll look at him in a second. Then there's this hinge, this pivot point in verse 30, he must increase, I must decrease. And then he talks about the Savior, the Lord Jesus, and gives the corresponding truth uh, to uh, what he just says about himself. So follow with me here in verse um, 27. John answered. So again, we've got these followers, his disciples that are coming to him. There's this dispute. We're not exactly sure uh, what the dispute about the purification was. Was it around the authority uh, to baptize or, or what? But we, we see they were concerned that um, there was a following going after uh, Jesus of Nazareth, and, and they were losing, they were losing uh, a following. So John's response in verse 27, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. In other words, um, what John the Baptist is saying here is, um, I have, I'm not the source. Uh, I'm, I'm just here as a conduit. Uh, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. Everything that I have has come from heaven. Uh, I think of what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, one of my favorite statements, by the grace of God, I am what I am. What a wonderful summary statement of life. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Whether that's physical, whether that's spiritual, uh, whether it's talking about our gift, by the grace of God, I am all that I have. Every breath that I breathe is a gift from him. I'm not self-existent. Um, every heartbeat, uh, every, every ability, uh, every strength, every aspect of who I am, he's made me who I am. And so by the grace of God, it's his, his kindness, uh, undeserved, unmerited favor poured out in my life. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Well, John the Baptist said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. In other words, he recognizes the fact that, that he's, been, he's been sent out on a mission and uh, he has been equipped. Uh, he has been given what is needed uh, to fulfill his calling. Uh, he lived a pretty rugged lifestyle, as we know from other places. Uh, but he recognized this fact that, that all that he had had been given to him from heaven. And, and then let's look over to verse 31 to see the corresponding reality uh, of the Lord Jesus. Verse 31, he who comes from above, this is John the Baptist speaking of the Lord Jesus, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. So notice what it says there in verse 31. He who comes from above, that's the, the thought of coming from a higher place. Um, it says that he who comes from above is above all. So he comes from a higher place and he ranks supreme. He, he has that rightful higher rank, higher place of authority because of who he is. 
He who comes from the earth, the, he gives the opposite. He who comes from the earth is just, he's just from the d- dust. And he ranks lower. He speaks of the earth. He speaks about earthly things and speaks from a, an earthly perspective. And we go on and it says uh, in verse, uh, at the end of verse 31, he who comes from a he- above, he- rather, he who comes from heaven is above all. And then this is what I want to underline. Verse 32, what he has seen and heard that he testifies. So John says of himself, anything that I've received has been given to me from heaven. Um, In other words, I'm not a firsthand witness of anything. It's been given to me. I've been told it and I'm communicating it. On the other hand, the Lord Jesus, what he has seen and testifies, that's what he tells. That's what he speaks. That's what he testifies. In other words, the Lord Jesus is the the first-hand witness of all that he has seen in heaven. So if you have an option, if, if you've got an accident scene that's taken place, and, you know, the police are trying to get the, the best report of what's in looking for witnesses, are, are they going to are they going to be looking for a first-hand eyewitness? Or are they going to be satisfied with somebody that lives around the corner who heard the story from somebody else, you know, as kind of secondhand in the chain of information? Well, of course, you want, it, you want the firsthand witness. And so John the Baptist is saying to his followers, listen, if you, if you have a choice, uh, I'm not the one you need to be listening to. He, he is. He, the Lord Jesus He's the one who testifies about what he has seen and heard. Um, I've, I've received it, yes, from heaven. I've got a message to proclaim. But, but he's seen it and heard it firsthand and testifies. So if there's an option here and if you have a choice, you want to you follow him. You want to be listening to him. He's, he's the one you need to be listening to. But he goes on then in verse 28 and says something else about himself. You yourselves, he's talking to uh, some of these uh, disciples, you yourselves bear me witness. In other words, you've heard me say this already. I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. I am not the one who was sent to deliver you. He is. Uh, I'm, I've been sent before him. I'm the forerunner. I am the one who is the preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah. But I am not the Messiah. I am not the one who can deliver you. He is. I have been sent before him. I love, I love what the Lord Jesus says of John the Baptist in verse, or in chapter five. And no doubt you've read these verses. This is in chapter five in verse 35. Speaking of John the Baptist, he was the burning and shining lamp and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. So he's speaking to the the Jews there and he's saying about John that this is Jesus speaking and he says of John the Baptist, he was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. The, the word there that the Lord Jesus uses for lamp 
is essentially the equivalent of what we would say is a flashlight today. It's that, that temporary light, just something that is used in the darkness um, before the sun shines, right, before the light. And so I think, you know, in ministry, time to time you go to camp, one of the things I've learned is I always have a flashlight along with me. It seems that every camp I go to, the, the bathrooms are like like a quarter mile like through the trees and around the corner and over big rocks. And so, you know, you get up in the middle of the night and you got to go to find the facilities, you know. And so, so it's always good to have a flashlight um, to, to light the way. Now, we know that that, that flashlight has a, has a limited uh, purpose or it's a, it's a focused um, use and it's when it's dark, it's at night. But when the sun is up in the middle of the day, we, we don't need the light anymore. Um, this, it's, been, it's been replaced by a greater light. And that's what the Lord Jesus was saying of John the Baptist. You, you enjoyed his ministry for a period of time. You, you enjoyed, you received his, or it says you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light, that he was that temporary lamp. But now that the light of the world has come, um, John's ministry fades away, just like my my flashlight goes into the into the suitcase uh, when the sun comes up. In the same way, John the Baptist's ministry was going to fade out of view because of the light of the world had come, and so John understood that about his ministry, and and he stated at different times. You know, there's a greater one coming. I'm not worthy even to unlatch his sandals. Um, and, and he recognized the greatness of the one that he was preceding. And, and he said to these followers, he said, uh, listen, you've heard me say it. I've said it publicly time and time again. I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. I'm not the one who has been sent by God to deliver you. He is. So... If you have an option of who you're going to listen to, um, who you're going to follow, um, I'm the one who's come to prepare the way, but, but when the true light of the world, you want to follow him. And if he's on the scene, you want to follow him. And, and so, uh, again, he must increase. I must decrease. And then verse 29, I love, I love this verse. He who has the bride. This is the third thing John says, speaking of himself. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. What does he mean by that? I think it's it's beautiful. What he's saying here is my joy is filled up. My joy is made complete when I see people attracted to the Lord Jesus. Uh, he, he says to his followers, you, you need to understand, I'm not intimidated by that. I'm not disheartened by this news. This thrills my heart. I'm, I'm just a friend of the bridegroom. I'm I'm not the one that's the, the object of, of people's affections. I'm not the one that people need to be attracted to. Uh, he is. Um, I'm just a friend of the bridegroom. And, and it thrills my heart when I see this love relationship de- developing between others and the Lord Jesus. Um, I've, 
had my share of weddings. Uh, we've certainly had it in our family over the last year. Um, but I also have had the privilege over the years of, of standing and, and conducting weddings. And um, I've, I've never had this happen, but you can imagine it would be concerning if I'm standing there, you, you know, the couple's there and the wedding party on both sides and, and the best man is over here and, and he's just scowling. You know, the, the, the bride comes up and there's this wonderful mo moment, you know, when the eyes lock with the groom and it's, uh, you know, uh, hearts are fluttering and everything and tears and all the rest. But, uh, but the, you can imagine this, this uh, best man just standing there, you know, scowling and frowning. And afterwards you go up to him and say, you know, what, what was going on? Like, this is not good for pictures, number one. But, um, little concerned about your unhappiness here as the, the best man and you would be concerned uh, if his response back to you was, I'm just upset that she's attracted to him and not to me. <laughs> you would say, okay, we've, we've got a bit of a problem here right out of the gate. This is not the way it should be. Well, John the Baptist is saying, listen, I'm, I'm just a friend of the bridegroom and, uh, and if anybody's going to be attracted to anybody, it's not to me, it's to him. And with a corresponding truth to this is in verse 35. And I think this is so beautiful. Um, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. The Lord Jesus is the, the center of heaven's affections. Um, how many times over in this gospel do we hear the statement, the Father loves the Son? The Father loves the Son. I think it's nine times in this gospel. The Father loves the Son. And so John the Baptist is saying, okay, you, you need to understand, um, if, if people are attracted to the Lord Jesus, uh, you need, that's the way it should be. He's, He's the center of heaven's affections. He is, he is loved by the Father and has given all things into his hand. I'm, I'm not worried that they're all going over to him and, and taking his side. I'm, I'm just a friend of the bridegroom. The chapter ends with one of the clearest gospel verses in, in John, really. And, and the reason, I think, following the context of what is just being stated here, see, it's, it's one thing to ignore the, the messenger, to ignore John the Baptist. It's, it's one thing when he fades out of view and, and other people are, are just walking by him and, and pursuing the Savior. Um, it's one thing to reject and ignore John the Baptist. Why? Because he's just a messenger. He's just a forerunner. He was never sent to deliver. He's just a friend of the bridegroom. But it's quite another thing to reject the son. Why? Be because he's the one who comes and he personally testifies of the things he has seen and heard. He comes from above all and is above all. And he speaks uh, as a firsthand witness of the things that he... When, when he talks about Adam and Eve and marriage... He was there. He saw it. When he talks about Solomon and a great... He was there. He, he saw it. When he talks about... He was there. He, he saw it. And we could go back all... He was there. He knows it. And he speaks firsthand 
authority of what he has seen and heard. Uh, He's the one anointed, he's the anointed of God, prophet, priest, and king. All of these offices fulfilled in in one person. Uh, He, as the, the promised Messiah, has arrived on the scene as the one who has come to deliver, to seek and to save. He is the one who is the center of all of heaven's affections. And so it does matter what our response to him is. And, And that's the weight of verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Present possession, present reality. But he who does not believe the the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Philip says this about that verse, One thing God will not forgive is to have his Son treated with contempt, disbelief, or indifference. The state of the soul of those who do such outrageous things is so fearful that they not only merely kindle the wrath of God, but it actually presently abides on them. It's a serious thing to consider how is it that we respond to the person of the Lord Jesus. And then it's also a serious thing to consider we, his servants, are we involved in self-promotion? It's hard to promote self. It's hard to promote a church it's hard to promote a ministry or, or an organization and promote the Lord Jesus at the same time. You just can't do it. And so in this age of, of you know, seeking more clicks, more followers, more this, more that, you can't do that and hold up and promote the Lord Jesus. Uh, you can't live out this verse, he must increase, I must decrease, if there's any vein or, or element of self-promotion in our own hearts. And so uh, John the Baptist and his conviction is, is very instructive and I think very challenging to my own heart. But just as we, as we close, I want to be careful to close on time. I do want to ask the, the question, because this, is, this I think can be re- brought right back to a personal level. Um, he must, speaking of G- the Lord Jesus, he must increase the, the question is, is there more of Christ in me than there was 12 months ago? Is there, is there, has, has his rule spread in my life? And as he, has he taken over more areas of my life than he had a year ago? Has, has there been increase? Have I grown in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus? Um, I have been so concerned, certainly, I know it's true in our side of the border, and I'm sure it's true in your side of the border. Uh, so many Christians uh, have been caught up in, in these last couple of years uh, and have become armchair quarterbacks and experts in everything other than Christ. Um, experts in, and, in constitutionality of this and that and rights and, and on you go. Um, experts on on medicine and viruses and all of these things. But, but have we grown in the grace? Has, has he increased in our lives uh, with, with the time that we've had? Perhaps uh, some things were set aside at, at the beginning of all this and our routines disrupted. Has there, has there been 
time taken have have we been careful to sit down with him with bible open and say lord i want you to speak to me i want i want you to i want you to be growing in your influence in my own life i want to come to know you a spirit of god teach me uh, of yourself from this this book um it's easy to target one age group and i know old people are guilty of blaming it, you know targeting young people and young people are guilty look it's it's not a generational thing at all i think that's what i'm learning as i kind of cross the 50s and move into the second half of the century um it's something that that is a challenge to each and every one of us uh if we're older and retired uh, we are stewards of certain opportunities if we're younger we're stewards of opportunities and and really uh, the 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 question then that uh, we're left with is is there a growth is there increase um is there um more of Christ and less of us john the baptist understood that um there needed to be a, a greater and greater display of Christ and less and less of a display of John the Baptist and so that would be true in our lives as well and so the challenge really is can others uh, as we go out as we live life can others look at us and see the Lord Jesus in us um can they look at us and say boy <laughs> that that person has been with Jesus um it's just evident that there has been growth and increase in my life and i i pray that that would be true john the baptist knew as as he said it in this passage I, i'm not the one you need to be listening to he is i'm not the one who can save or deliver he is i'm not the one you should be attracted to he is that's what matters and so let's let's be a people who are careful to exalt christ lift him up and be known as a people where Christ is increasing and we are decreasing let's pray our father we are just grateful for this testimony of john the baptist a man that uh, intrigues us in so many ways but yet when the moment came when he really could have become defensive over his ministry and perhaps his waning influence um, we we see his true colors come out and and this conviction of his heart that that Christ must increase there's no other way for him to be effective as a servant than for Christ to increase and him to decrease may that be the conviction of our hearts and may we be a people who seek to know him and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus truly he is the object of your affections heavenly father um he is loved by you 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 have uh, opened heaven th- multiple times over to declare your love for him and may we be a people who are faithful to represent him well uh, in the days and the times in which we live and so bless this word to our hearts uh, we are thankful for it and we pray this all in our savior's name as we part amen amen